Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood with TrappingToday.com. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to uh, this episode and hopefully all the previous episodes. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad, glad I started the podcast. I hope to continue it, kind of getting the hang of things here. I hope I'm getting a little better with it. Um, but anyway, uh, tonight's episode... Uh, I'm mainly recording this episode because not only I want to give you an update on some of the news going on in the trapping world, but uh, I have a, tomorrow I am going to have an interview with a public radio station in a western state about bobcats, and uh, I didn't want to uh, do that without being a little bit prepared for it. So tonight's podcast is going to be a bit of preparation for me, so hopefully I can represent trappers well in in that interview um, and in the the subsequent story they're going to put out. So anyway, just a little bit of news on my trap line, uh, sort of winding down on the under ice beaver stuff. Uh, I hope to get out and and get some more lodges scouted, but I had some family obligations I had to take care of, so. Uh, Anyway, the, the probably the biggest piece of news there was uh, I went and, and pulled some sets on a lodge the other day, and I brought the GoPro, and I was, I was making some videos, and it was, it was pretty cool. I had some good opportunities. So I had a spot where we had a little bit of warm weather, and beavers were coming out. Uh, there was a, a open a spot in the dam where the ice was a little bit thin, and beavers had broke through that. We're going up on land, and... and uh, taking some trees and there was a bunch of wood chips and trails going up into the woods so in the middle of winter that's that's a little bit unique depending on the winter we have and it was pretty cool opportunity to show people how you can take advantage of that and when you can expect that to happen and and how to make sets there so i had the gopro set up i did a nice video about oh seven or eight minutes long and then i went along and started to chip some ice and check my sets I had uh, the first two snares I had each caught a beaver, so I I recorded a couple of those catches. Um, you know, set the camera up and uh, just sit down and kind of showed a little bit of that. And then I had somebody on YouTube was asking if I could show more specifically how I make that under ice beaver snare set in the field. So it was great because the wind wasn't blowing that bad. It was a relatively mild day. It was like in the 20s. It was just perfect opportunity. So I set that up and I did about uh, eight or 10 minute video on and showing exactly. I reset. I wasn't even re- remaking the set, but I just remade it just to just to demonstrate how I make it and show you know how to check your water depth, where to set the snares on the pole, how to anchor them, how to how to uh, uh, set them up and everything just perfect so got the, all that footage I pulled my sets I went home that evening I, I went to uh, take a look at the videos to get ready to upload them and I had no sound <laughs> so uh, total total uh, devastation so basically none of the videos were worth anything um, great uh, great footage, um, but without hearing the sound, you can't hear anything about what I'm saying uh, or trying to explain. So it's kind of a bummer. Uh, another lesson learned: uh, the case that I was using on the GoPro did not allow enough 
uh, of an opening for to hear the sound. You can hear some, it's very, very faint. You can hardly hear it at all. So anyway, that was uh, kind of hit myself, hit pounding my head against the wall for that one. I I ordered an external mic for the GoPro, and next time it won't uh, it won't be so bad. But you know how it is when you put effort into something and it's all for nothing. It kind of bums you out a little bit. And speaking of bumming out, um, <laughs> I was working. I had to go work on Saturday, and and I just had a lot of time to think, traveling, and and you know I was just kind of reflecting on what I've been doing with trapping today the past pretty much uh, six to nine months, probably nine months or so. Um, I decided last year um, I'm kind of the ty- not not the type of person to make a New Year's resolution January first and then. January 9th be done with it and and move on and and kind of go out you know have a start with a bang and then fizzle out quickly um, I kind of go into things with a little a little more slowly with a little more resolve and some point last spring um, after sometime after spring beaver trapping I decided I probably wanted to uh, put a little more effort in trapping today and and get you know, try just try and make it something that was more useful to trappers. Have a grow a larger following. Um, you know, be a better resource, and hopefully, you know, make a little bit of income on the side, help feed the family, and you know, got a couple kids, and wife stays at home. I don't make a lot of money at work, so you know, every little bit counts. And and I felt like I had something to offer to people that I could uh, could help uh, supplement my income as well. So. Uh, you know, that was about the time that Kyle Cotts contacted me about advertising. They started advertising, uh, PCS Outdoors started, I started doing a few other things and, and it was a good motivator to get my butt in gear and and do things. So, you know, since then I've, I, I could always do more, but I've done a fair bit. Um, not only am I updating the website more frequently, I started a YouTube channel. I've got, I think over 50 videos on there now um something something like that and i started an instagram account over 100 posts on there uh youtube right now we're at over 300 330 something subscribers instagram about 700 followers i believe uh, and uh recently started this podcast so you know, it's it's now it's not only just doing the updates on the website, which you know we've we've got a good following. We get just you know give you a little bit of stats, and I don't really <laughs> have anything not to keep a secret or anything. Um, in uh, November, we had almost a hundred thousand uh, page views on on trappingtoday.com. So you know, typically in the summertime, obviously things slow down. Uh, but in the winter, we're we've been uh, 60 to 90 plus thousand page views per month, and uh, that's pretty cool. Um, we've over 1,400 of you subscribed to weekly email updates, so you get all the posts every week in your email inbox. Appreciate those of you who uh, who actually go through and read those. That's pretty awesome. So you know, we're we're showing quite a bit of, of growth and a lot going on. But just like anything with humans we do things and then we think you know is that all this worth it and all this extra effort I'm putting in is this going to pay off is it worth the time 
Is it worth the emotional investment in it? And of course you get some people that give you a hard time about things, especially in trapping. So you got that too. So it, it I got a little down on myself, feeling sorry for myself like a baby and I, for, I was just like, you know what, this is not paying off. What am I doing? I'm, you know, what I'm making is covering, it's covering the cost um, of maintaining the site. And, you know, maybe um, if I actually calculated labor, you're probably less than a dollar an hour for the time put in. <laughs> so um, obviously, you know, that can wear on a guy a little bit and, and start thinking about it and, and, I don't know. By the end of the day, I kind of just said, you know, what? I I just need to be a little more patient. I need to work harder on this, and I need to do things that are going to provide enough value for trappers that they're willing to um, to reciprocate and and to pay for that value. So I, we don't always know what that is. That could be a book. That could be a training. That could be some subscription service. That could be you guys buying a product that I recommend. Who knows? Um, but I, I kind of just sucked it up and said, you know what, I need to work a little bit harder and, uh, and just keep, keep, keep pushing at it. You, you always think, well, when, when's the time to give up? When is it time to cut your losses and move on to something else that might, might work out better? And, uh, by the end of the day, I decided this today is not the time. Now is not the time. I'm going to, I'm going to push even harder to, uh, to work on this, this stuff. Cause you know, it's really, it's, it's a big part of who I am, you know, as a trapper, um, this is something that I'm very passionate about. So anyway, I got home, checked my email and, uh, I saw that I, in the time that I was whining about things, I'd sold, uh, a couple of copies of the e fur guide ebook and, uh, a hard copy of that. And, uh, had a, one of the major trapping supply dealers place an order for 200 copies. So, um, you, you know, that's just the way things work sometimes. So I, I have a lot of hopes for this fur profit book. I, I know it's a good book and I, I think you guys are going to enjoy it and get a lot of value from it if you do buy it. Um, it's just a matter of, of actually getting that momentum and getting things to happen and, and to work out. So anyway, that's just a little bit of what's going on with me the lows and the highs. And, uh, I know all of you out there experience that as well. So, uh, I appreciate you hanging in there with me on that. <laughs> so anyway, let's move on. Um, we are right in the middle we're, as I record this, it's almost the end of February and we're right in the middle of the fur auction season. Um, th the, a lot of the fur's been sold. There's been a lot of state auctions. I've been pu putting those up on Trapping Today. And actually, um, as as I record this, yesterday I put up a YouTube video where I basically just recorded myself saying what I put on the blog. But, you know, a lot of people don't... A lot of people subscribe to YouTube channel and, and or are on YouTube searching for fur prices and they don't even know what Trapping Today is. So, um, I... I put up a video just explaining, you know, what we've been seeing for prices at the recent auctions and what uh, we can e expect here going into the next big sales. And uh, it's pretty much overall, you can go back and you can listen to that and you can read the posts, um, but things are pretty much plugging along uh, as they have been. Um, a few signs of weaknesses um, 
weakness in in a few of the markets uh, but for the most part everything's so low right now it's hard to get much lower uh, buyers are getting a lot more picky about the type of bobcats and coyotes that they buy so the spread especially cats the spread between low and high quality cats is widening but as I record this tomorrow Monday the 26th is the first day of North American fur auctions February sale and that auctions in North Bay Ontario and tomorrow they're going to be selling the majority of, of the wild fur so in this sale wild fur is actually going first and ranch ranch mink is going to be auctioned off later on in the week um, a few items I want to say bobcat and coyote are one of them they're going to be held for later in the week um, but a lot of the a lot of the wild fur is going to be sold tomorrow sold or not sold um, at this sale usually if the buyers are not really excited and they don't want to give the prices that NAFA wants to see uh, there will be a lot of fur held back and if it's anything like last year's sale in February it was like uh, it almost wasn't even an auction it was just there NAFA was calling off the lot numbers and pretty much nobody was bidding and they just bang 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 they just ran right through the catalog because there wasn't much interest in anything and they held on to a lot of that fur and they ended up dumping a lot of it in, in the later sales uh, through auction and private treaty so uh, we'll see who knows what's going to happen tomorrow um, and, and the rest of the week uh, but I, I'm kind of hoping that we just see some fur sell whether, regardless of, of whether the prices are um, are less than what we we want to see um, the the problem is I don't see anything in the macroeconomic climate in as it relates to the fur market changing much in the next couple of months so um, <clears throat> if we wait till May or wait till July I I don't know as there'll be any good results with that usually those those late sales last year their July sale was kind of a bloodbath for trappers um, just there was a lot of fur sold at, at really low prices so anyway we'll see what happens there um, you know it's up to the fur ho auction house we send fur there well, a lot of people send fur there and kind of put faith in those guys they're getting 11% commission on your fur you better hope they you know they want to earn that they want to get as much value as they can um, to increase that commission so we'll see how it goes um, the other thing is if you sent fur to fur harvesters auction which is where I sent uh, my fur this year most of my fur uh, they have it looks like they've completed grading um, at least my stuff is all graded and if you have an account there um, if you if you have an account you can log in and you'll be able to see how your fur graded out and, and everything and if you sent if you shipped fur but you don't have an account registered yet online you just give them a call their phone number is right there on the website I called I called up they're able to give me my account number and once you have your account number you can register for an online account you just give your name and address and contact information uh, it's pretty simple and then you can pull up your your information pretty easily so the other thing that you get into with that is when you look at how your fur is graded it is it can be very complicated so <laughs> so I'm just running through I've got Martin Fisher and weasels at this sale 
and the abbreviations and everything. I, you know, you pull up the FHA has a grading terminology, just like NAFA has. They they have a sheet that shows you what all the grades mean, what the abbreviations stand for. But you're still going to see a lot of abbreviations that are not spelled out in that grading terminology. Um, in short, the it, it it almost takes a college education to figure out how to grade for. I, I would love to learn how to do it. Um, maybe someday I'll get to do that. I just found a book on an old book on fur grading that I'm going to try and read here in the next few months, and um, hopefully get some guys from NAFA or FHA at, at conventions and see if we can get a little bit of more education on that because I I would love to know more about it. Um, but anyway, the the grades basically refer to the size of the fur, the amount of damage, so whether there's holes in it or burrs in the fur, other things that can can cause uh, cause damage to to the fur. The um, and and also so you have the size, the amount of damage, the primeness or the thickness of the fur, how heavy it is. Um, they'll call that usually he- heavy, semi-heavy, light, or flat. And finally, the color. So color can make a big difference as well, especially for animals like, like Martin and Fisher. So, you know, like like I'm just looking, I'm just going to run off, I'll read off a few of these. Large, slight damage, pale, extra pale. Uh, medium, number one, semi-PL. That MD1 semi-PL. I assume that means medium size, uh, number one for semi-heavy and pale. Then we got medium one semi-XPL, which I assume means extra pale. Large select number, select and one pale. Um, select usually means um, that that's one of the higher quality uh, other than, um, I think there's like a super select you could get into, but select is is about as high as most things are going to go. Um, Fisher MD slash SM select LT BRNC. So looks like that's uh, medium small select pelt. Uh, it's light brown. And C, I'm not sure what C means. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I don't have anything as far as. Uh, oh, C, here we go. So C for. Fisher is is basically light brown. It's just the code for light brown. So um, I got MDSM 1-2 LTBRNA. So that's a light brown, but it's A. It's a little bit of a different shade of light brown, I guess. Um, 1XLG, so 1 extra large, 1-2 uh, light brown C. So it just shows that there there is so much complexity to this fur grading that um, you can you can have so many different lots and different uh, different play, ways your fur you could you could send 50 Martin and Fisher and have you know not have more than two or three in one particular lot in some cases I mean that's not that's not going to be the norm but um, you know you could have a dozen different a dozen or more different lots that those are in or even more than that there's just so many different combinations um, but the, uh, if you haven't, if you're not experienced or familiar with lotting, the reason that's done is your pelts are put in to lots with similar pelts that have the same size, same color, same fur quality, 
And the reason for that is when a buyer is looking for a certain type of pelt, they want to be able to buy a large number of those that look the same and are essentially are the same. So by lotting into similar types of fur, uh, typically that's going to get the highest price that you can get from the buyers. Because if they have to pick through and buy a lot that has a whole bunch of different types of fur and different quality and size and everything, then they are those buyers are going to pay a lower price for that because they may they may buy 50 furs and only have like 10 or 12 that fit whatever particular coat um, or fur item they're trying to make. So uh, that's lotting in a nutshell, and uh, hopefully someday we'll we'll go into that a little more. Um, the other thing I I wanted to throw up, but geez, we're we're getting pretty late in this podcast. I think I'm going to go through this stuff and then. Probably um, we'll have a separate podcast for the the actual bobcat stuff. So I'm um, sorry to break that up, but uh, um, got a, had a lot to say here in this podcast so far. So uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit was lure making. So if you um, listen to the previous podcast that I put out on on lure making. Um, I, I raised a number of different topics there on trap. It wasn't actually it wasn't lure making. It was just trapping lures in general, and I I talked about quite a few topics there that um, potentially may be a little bit controversial, and I I threw things out there and went out on a limb on some things and and uh, I hope that's received well. I hope no one takes it takes it personal if if you feel strongly about about those things um i think i i included a lot of caveats and and um qualified a lot of things i said because i i didn't want to take anybody off but i i didn't need to speak my mind but i'm thinking about getting a little more into uh teaching guys or or doing a little basic educational lure making as i learn more about lure making maybe teaching some other people about it it's kind of neat as a trapper um you know like i'm a fly fisherman and i tie my own flies and it's really cool you know to catch a trout on a fly that you tied tied yourself um the same with lure making to lure an animal in with with your own lures is a pretty cool thing and so i i started making lure actually started and i i mentioned this in the previous podcast because I couldn't readily find a lure that was was able to fit the needs that I had. Um, it it doesn't necessarily fit the needs of every trapper in that situation, um, but but it fits my needs as a northern Maine martin and fisher trapper. On that particular line, I needed that type of lure. Um, I needed something that was going to be a loud, skunky lure that was going to um, be effective in a wide range of temperatures from uh, sub-freezing to raining and and be waterproof as well. So I, I think I, I was successful in that. I, I have a, probably a little bit of tweaking, a little bit more tweaking to do, um, and and uh, a few adjustments I probably will make to that formula. But overall, it's it, it's worked very well for me so far. Uh, but I I want to continue in this lure making thing, and one of the things that I've mentioned before is th- that the the whole uh, secret ingredients and secret combination and ultra top 
secret things that can't be shared for lure formulas and stuff. It's just not me. Um, I have a hard time with that. And, and, you know, maybe if I really fully believe that I found something that was the greatest thing ever and that no other lure maker had happened upon this combination of scents and ingredients, um, maybe I would guard it very well. But I'm just not quite convinced that 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 is very common. So for that reason, and, and I think that lure makers are the successful ones are the best marketers in the business. They, they're incredibly effective marketers. Um, and they catch a lot of fur, and their lures are very effective. But there are also lure makers who uh, have lures that are just as effective that don't sell a lot of lure. And they're just not marketers. So, all of that being said, I'm considering doing a little bit of lure making stuff. And, and I haven't fully committed to this yet, but I'm pretty darn close to doing it Uh, I want to just set out a camera on a table and show you all the ingredients of my long distance Martin call lure including the super ultra secret base (laughs) that's that's both waterproof and freeze proof and doesn't crust over like Vaseline Um, in in actually going into exactly the proportions and the amount that I put in from uh, the skunk essence to all the the four or five different other ingredients, uh, how I measure those out and calculate those amounts, and basically just a tutorial on exactly how to make that lure. So you're going to go up on eBay and you're going to see that lure for sale, which it is right now, and you're going to be able to go on YouTube potentially and see exactly how I made that lure and exactly what's in it. And the, the reason that I want to do that, and, and I'm probably going to, uh, we'll see how much interest there is in that, is I, I as a trapper, I really feel that there is a, a need and, and there's a lack of knowledge of what's in your lure that you use. And so I just hate being the guy that says, well, I order this lure and this lure and this lure from that maker in that catalog every year. And this one works good for me, so I just reorder that one, and I know that's a good lure. Well, why is that a good lure? How do you know that's better than this other lure? How do you know that one of the hundreds of other variables that can affect whether that lure works for you or not was was or wasn't at play? You know, how many of us guys that are buying lures are catching two, three, four hundred coyotes in a year, for instance, if you're buying a coyote lure? You're going to need to have that kind of number at least 100 coyotes to have any statistical significance to um, any testing that you do. If you consider all the different variables and try to isolate those variables um, and, and look at effectiveness at a set. Um, in in some of the work I do in my day job, we talk about uh, what's called power analysis. And a power analysis is used in order to calculate the uh, statistical sample size that you need in order to have a meaningful result, a result that is statistically significant. So in other words, you can, if you know how certain variables are, are affected and to what extent they can range, 
by variables I mean uh, location, wind direction, number of animals in your study area or in your trapping area. Um, there's a, a number, any essentially anything you can come up with that, that would affect your how your set is is used or how you can catch a coyote or a fox or any other animal for that matter. Um, if you know enough about those variables, you can plug those all into a formula and you can determine um, what your sample size needs to be in order to detect a certain difference between two, um, two experimental uh, variables or two, uh, two, say two lure products. So for instance, if I had uh, my homie lure that I tossed together and I didn't really pay much attention and I just threw a bunch of things together and then I bought uh, O'Gorman's, O'Gorman's Long Distance Call which is sold probably more ounces than any other lure that I can think of right now. Um, just an unbelievably effective, unbelievably popular lure. Um, if if I um, if I know enough about the different variables associated with catching that coyote outside of the lures, I could determine how many coyotes I need to catch to detect whether there is a a fifty percent difference between the effectiveness of O'Gorman's lure and my lure. Now. For a 50% difference, that would mean uh, statistically, um, at say, an, uh, you can set a 90% or 95% confidence interval. Um, in other words, you're saying I, I can be 90% confident based on the math that O'Gorman's lure is 50% better than my lure. Now, is it 50% better? Um, well, we could figure that out um, if we know all the inputs. And because 50% is such a large number, if that lure is in fact that much better, then you don't need a whole lot of coyotes in order to determine that. And I'm just going to throw this out. This could be a totally wild number. But let's say um, to detect a 50% difference between my lure and O'Gorman's, you would need to catch, uh, say, a total of 20 coyotes. Um, and because that that 50% difference is so large, you don't really need a whole lot uh, of numbers because if indeed that lure is so much better, you're going to know it. In other words, 15 of them are going to come out of the O'Gorman lure sets and five are going to come out of mine. Now, if that lure is in fact, and again, we don't know these things until we actually go out and and test them, um, but we have to make predictions to, to determine how much effort to put out. If that lure is in fact only 25% better using those same numbers we'd have to catch 40 coyotes in order to determine that. If that lure is in fact only 10% better we may need to catch 90 or 100 coyotes to to actually be able to statistically know the difference. So not to get bogged down in the numbers but I just I'm saying all that to tell you that to actually know how much difference there is in the effectiveness of this lure, these lures and isolate all the other variables you gotta have a, you gotta be catching a lot of animals that's why a lot of these lure makers that test 
their tests are, are a lot more credible than the guy down the road that says I caught I bought this lure and I caught 10 coyotes on it as the greatest lure I've, I've ever used. Um, and, and, and when you actually think about that and you think about how much testing is going on and what the actual difference is, I, I honestly don't think any lure is 50% better than another lure. And, and I could be wrong, but I highly doubt it. Um, I think we're dealing with differences of probably closer to uh, 10 to 20 to 30 percent, um, maybe max. Um, and if that's the case, we're, we got to have hundreds of animals uh, or more to make those determinations. And, and that can be different. If you were to do this in like a, a lab environment or you, say you had, um, I know when I was in Utah, they had a coyote research station where they, they held uh, coyotes in captivity and they did a bunch of research on all different aspects of coyote biology and and uh, I assume some of it was was how they reacted to certain scents and lures um, if you had that case you you in that situation you could isolate a lot of those things and see how those animals reacted and uh, those results wouldn't necessarily be applicable in the wild uh, but they would they would give you a little more statistical validity to the test that you you perform. Um, so anyway, because of all that, because I think there's so much marketing that uh, kind of overshadows the effectiveness of a lot of lures, and because there is, um, because we don't know a thing about what's in any of these lures, <laughs> aside from maybe a couple of ingredients here and there, really, uh, I think there. I see a need myself as a trapper, and I hope other trappers, I hope you'll provide me some feedback on this. Um, I would love to be able to buy a lure and know exactly what's in it. And I don't know any lure maker on the market right now who's willing to step out on a limb and do that and provide the actual ingredients of all of what's in their lure. And I don't blame them for that because th that is taking a huge risk. Someone's just going to go copy your formula. Uh, I'm in, Again, I'm in a unique position where I don't have a lure-making reputation. Um, I, I don't have a lure-making business. I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not one of those guys. So, and I'm just kind of starting out in things, so I, I wouldn't be taking any risk. Um, I, the only risk I'd be taking is is potential future value of what I could have sold if I didn't share these secrets. So there is a risk, but but really I'm I'm not giving up any any current financial gain from specific lure formulas. So I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about doing that. I'm thinking about coming up, doing some research, coming up with some lure formulas, and and selling a few lures with exactly what the ingredients are. And if you buy that. The advantage I see is you buy that lure and you know exactly what's in it. And maybe I sell sell you two different types of Martin lure. If you know exactly what's in those lures, number one, you could go buy the stuff. Go to Cotts Brothers and buy all. They have more lure making ingredients than um, anybody I've seen so far. They they've got a lot of stuff. Uh, everything I could, I needed in lure making they have uh, so far. So. You know, you could look at my recipe, buy my lure, look at the recipe, go make it yourself. Um, I see the people buying lure more as uh, convenience than anything else because it, 
to actually you actually buy the stuff if you're not buying it in bulk you're not going to save any money anyway um yeah you can copy my recipe and put it on ebay i don't really care but uh it, you, you really where, where i see the benefit is you buy that and you know exactly what's in it and whether or not you copy it you buy the other one you know exactly what's in that and you mo- go make a you go test the two and maybe you make your own little batch and you add something different or you i make a batch and i add something different and you test that all of a sudden when you actually know the variables that are there what's that really sweet smelling thing what is that that carries such a long distance what is that odd odor what is that combination of odors it really seems to work for me you know you can unlock a lot of answers on your trap line when you actually know that information and you say well this was asafetida that uh, had that specific smell that seemed to cause this reaction at a set. Well, then maybe you buy some of that and you mix it in with a different lure, or um, or you you buy future in the future you buy a lure that has m- more of that in it. You know, I I don't know. I just see it as something a little bit unique, and as something that I I don't see in the market available at all. And maybe it's just because someone tried it and didn't work out. Or maybe no one's willing to try it, but um, it's something that I'm considering. So, if you listen to this anytime in the next few months uh, or even year, uh, give me a shout and and give me some feedback on that. And is it something that you would be interested in buying? Uh, would you would you be willing to buy a lure that had all the ingredients in it? And how valuable would that be as opposed to maybe you just like. Uh, O'Gorman's lure because you know it works and you're not willing to take a chance on something different or you know Mark June or Clint Locklear or um, any of any of the other uh, Hawbakers or Carmen's or you know any of those guys um, maybe maybe you just stick with that but uh, give me some feedback there and and also on the actual lure making um, if you wanted to see some like some videos, some YouTube videos or something on exactly how I mix together and make some of these lures. And uh, no one does it. You know, I I haven't seen anything done. There's a few books. um, Well, I say that. uh, uh, Kellen Kellen Kotz does in his videos. He he shows exactly how to make a few different baits and and some lure to a certain extent. but I, I'm, I'm thinking something along the lines of like straight to the point, use this amount of ingredients of this and this and that and that and that, and here's how I mix it up, and here you go, boom, have a nice day. Um, so anyway, thinking about it, um, we did not get into the Bobcats, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the end of this podcast, and I'm going to start right up in the very next episode recording the Bobcat podcast. <laughs> so I apologize for uh, making a promise. I've, I'm very... Uh, I'm developing a reputation for uh, talking about things early in the episode and then getting off track. So um, maybe I'll work on that or maybe I won't. But anyway, thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate having you here and uh, hope for many more. So with that, keep on trapping, keep on thinking trapping, keep on talking trapping, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks.